Hi, this is Pastor Curtis Crawford welcoming you to our podcast. At Revive Outreach Church, we're striving to revive an awareness of Christ in our communities through Christ-centered compassion, service, and evangelism. You can learn more about us online at www.reviveoc.org or on Facebook at facebook.com slash church. We hope that you enjoy this message, and God bless. Uh, if you'll turn with me to the book of Romans, to the book of Romans chapter 1, and you'll want to leave your Bibles open because we're going to be going through um, the verses today, uh, verse by verse, uh, and so please keep your, your Bibles out and let's uh, go along through um, chapter 1 together. The book of Romans is a doctrinal foundation uh, for Christianity. Uh, within it, Paul talks about so many foundations of, of our faith. Uh, he talks about justification or salvation through faith alone, not through works, but through faith in Christ. He talks about sanctification, not just the process by which you and I are declared holy before God, but also the process in which daily the Holy Spirit is conforming us and sanctifying us and making us more like the image of His Son. He, he, there's so many doctrines that the Apostle Paul addresses in the book of Romans. And so this morning I'd like to, to, to begin a series on the book of Romans and I hope that you'll come out and be a part. This is going to be slightly different than most sermons that I preach and more, most series uh, that I preach, but I think that if you will bear with me, uh, you will enjoy it, and I guarantee that you will learn something new, because as many times as I have preached and studied and, and taught uh, a particular passage, it seems that every single time I learn something new as well, uh, and it makes me excited to share it with you. So if you open up with me uh, to the book of Romans chapter 1, let's begin to look at those first seven verses. He says, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God, which he promised before through his prophets and the holy scriptures. Now the apostle Paul, uh, for those who do not know, uh, he was a Pharisee uh, who uh, was persecuting the church uh, and Christians uh, during the early days of the church and he was uh, uh, having them beaten and killed and taking their property and their land and uh, persecuting them greatly until uh, one day he was on his road to on the road to Damascus to persecute Christians there uh, to go out beyond the city of Jerusalem uh, and uh, in that region and there, it's during that time that Jesus appeared to him directly knocked him straight off of his uh, uh, ride that he was on uh, and he, uh, he hit the ground and Jesus spoke to him and called him to be an apostle and so Paul first tells us here in verse 1 that uh, he identifies himself as a bondservant of Jesus Christ now uh, the New Testament, that, that Greek word uh, there translated bondservant is doulos. And uh, in the Greek culture, uh, it's not a voluntary thing. A bondservant is a slave. It is someone uh, who unwillingly uh, has to serve a master. But when the Apostle Paul is using this word here, he is not talking about forced slavery. 
He is using it in the sense, if you'll, uh, you can make a note of this, Exodus chapter 21, uh, verses 5 and 6. But if a servant plainly says, I love my master, my wife, and my children, I will not go out free, then his master shall bring him to the judges, he shall also bring him to the door or to the doorpost, and his master shall pierce his ear with an awl, and he shall serve him forever. What does that mean? It means someone who makes a conscious decision to submit themselves as a servant to another. Not that they are coerced, not that they're forced, not that they are a slave by the way that we understand that word, but, <coughs> excuse me, but they willingly choose to submit themselves to the master. Why? Because they love the master. And so Paul here, when he uses that word bondservant, he's a bondservant of Jesus Christ, he's saying, I love Jesus. And as a result, I have submitted myself to him and to his authority to serve him in every way that he calls me to be. He says, I am called to be an apostle. Now, I will tell you, and I may rattle some feathers here, uh, but the word apostle there primarily refers to the 12 disciples, uh, after not Judas, but Matthias, who was elected in the book of Acts to replace Judas. The Apostle Paul, and it's specifically, and the Apostle Paul, it's specifically limited to those who saw Jesus Christ at some point, a lot. And so Paul, we know, saw Jesus on the road to uh, Damascus, and of course the disciples spent a great deal of time with Jesus. And the Apostles were you know, declaring uh, Christ, uh, and they were uh, to share the gospel of Christ, but right now in our society, the word apostle is abused. Uh, it, it's abused, and people are labeling themselves apostles, and God has nothing to do, had nothing to do with them being an apostle, right? Uh, it's not that uh, God called them uh, to be an apostle, it's that they called themselves because they liked the title. Uh, so you have to be wary and, and watch out for that because the apostle, the title apostle primarily refers to the disciples and then the apostle Paul, uh, those uh, individuals. Uh, so uh, just uh, keep that in mind that it was a special calling. Not everybody is an apostle. So it was uh, separated God for the, uh, for the gospel of God. Now, the uh, word there uh, translated gospel, many of you probably know, it literally means good news. And uh, the verb and its down forms are used over 60 times within Paul's letter to the church in Rome. Now, uh, this phrase, good news, was used by uh, the town herald at that time to declare uh, information about the emperor. Now you have to understand something. The emperor was worshipped like a god. You were encouraged to worship him. At this time, you were supposed to worship the Roman emperor at this time. Okay? And so this uh, phrase, good news, was used to spread news, uh, positive news about the emperor. Maybe he had a birth in the family. Right? A child was born. Something positive that happened. Now, I do not believe that it is coincidental that the Apostle Paul also used 
this phrase that was many times specifically related to good news as it relates to the emperor who was worshipped as a god and worshipped as a deity. Why? Because he was actually sharing the good news of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, who is the one true God, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, right? The one who is the ruler over everything. And so it's not an accident that he used the phrase good news here that the, would be used uh, and, and typically to talk about the emperor because he's letting the people know that Jesus Christ is above the emperor. He's above any other deity. He's above any other uh, uh, ruler or king in this world. And so he is saying that, you know, uh, the gospel of God, he was separated to the gospel of God. That good news of Jesus Christ, the message that God will forgive our sins. He will deliver us from the power of sin over our life and the eternal hope that comes from that freedom. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news that Jesus Christ came, died, gave his life, and that you and I do not have to be separated from God, but we can be reconciled from him. And we don't have to be bound to our sinful desires and pleasures, but we can be set free. Amen. We don't have to live lives bound and controlled by this world and by our every whim and desire, but we can be set free from Christ, or by Christ. And we have a hope, an eternal hope, that someday, no matter what happens in this world, no matter how terrible my circumstances may be in this world, no matter how terrible circumstances are in this world, we have a hope that someday we're going to spend eternity in heaven with God, where everything will be perfect. The Bible says we'll never cry another tear, We'll never feel pain again. We'll never be sick again. We'll uh, have that life and that peace that we've uh, had trouble experiencing here on this earth. We have that hope that is guaranteed. It says that uh, this hope uh, was uh, promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. That this gift of Jesus Christ was promised. Now you have to understand that this is important because the Jews were accusing Paul at this time of presenting something that was uh, that was uh, a covenant that was new and replacing what, uh, what I should say is replacing their heritage. Right? So it wasn't that Jesus was fulfilling the law. People were teaching that he was saying that Jesus was replacing the law. This, this was a brand new thing that had nothing to do with their Jewish heritage, which was a lie. So he's telling them that this prophecy, that, that, that the coming of Christ was prophesied by the prophets. And he's referring to, in fact, uh, Jeremiah chapter 31, where it says that God will come and establish a new covenant with Israel. 
verses 31 through 34, he says that uh, there would be a new covenant. And in that covenant that God would make the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. The old covenant was based on the sacrificial system and the law and it was based given to the nation of Israel and it was based on all of these rules in the book of Leviticus and Deuteronomy and all this the system. But the new covenant would be based in Jesus Christ that we would no longer need that system in place because Jesus Christ would come to fulfill it and we would no longer have to follow all of those rules because the truth is you and I can never follow the rules anyway. We need a Savior. He's talking about Jesus as the Messiah. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, which you all have heard, I'm sure. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it and establish it with judgment and justice. From that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. So what Paul is saying here, uh, so much in just these first two uh, verses, you know, here he's saying, look, this was prophesied. Long ago, and the scriptures that you consider to be holy. The prophets of old, that they prophesied this. This isn't something new that's being made up on the spot, but this is something that was previously spoken of. Verse 3. Uh, he prophet, prophets in the Holy Scripture concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. He says first that he was born. So Paul is letting them know that Jesus Christ is real and he was a real historical figure. Right? The people in Rome had not necessarily seen Christ. Right? They were ministered to by missionaries. Traditionally, they believed that it was Peter who took uh, the gospel to Rome. No one knows exactly for sure, but the, the gospel was taken to Rome. They never saw Jesus. All they heard was what uh, about him and that he had risen from the dead and that he was God and man. And so Paul is saying he was born. He's saying he was uh, uh, a real person in history, right, uh, who uh, was born and walked upon this earth. And then he said he was the seed of David. The Old Testament prophesied that the Messiah would come from the lineage of David. So he's confirming that this was a real person who was born in the seed of David. He is following uh, just like was prophesied about the Messiah. And then he says he was resurrected. Now, the interesting thing here is that he says there, uh, I believe it's um, in verse 4, he says, and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness. That word declared is a Greek word from which we get our English word horizon. Everyone knows what a horizon is, right? It's when you look out and it is the distinguishing mark between the earth and the sky. Right? Uh, it is that distinguishing mark. And what Paul is saying here is what separates Jesus Christ from every other 
idol, every other false god, every other king, every other ruler that has ever come upon this earth or been invented in the hearts of man is the resurrection. Everyone else has come and died. And even to this day, after Christ, they all have come and died. All of those that I've been, you know, Buddha's dead. Uh, he doesn't, you know, he, he's not here. Uh, you know, Muhammad is dead and buried, uh, never to be seen again. But Jesus Christ, he separated himself from all of them, elevated himself, just like the horizon separating the sky from the earth when he rose from the dead. So he was declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. That separates him from everybody else. Through him we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name among whom you also are to be or are the call of Jesus Christ. Verse 7. To all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints. So you and I, we are uh, beloved of God. He's, God has a general love for all of creation. Right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have what? Everlasting life. God loves everybody. But he has a special, peculiar love for those who call him Lord and Savior. Right. Romans 5, 5. Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Unlike the rest of the world, God gave you and I the gift of the Holy Spirit and as a demonstration of his love towards us because we've accepted him as Christ and Lord and Savior. The rest of the world doesn't have access to the Holy Spirit, only those who know him and confess him as Lord. Ephesians 1, 3-6 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. God called us, God chose us, we accepted him, and we have a special place in God's heart because we know him as Christ as Lord and as Savior. He says, um, and also in verse 7, that we are called to be saints. Saint, sanctify and holiness all refer to the same Greek uh, word group, which means set apart. It means we're not like everyone else. It means that we're separate, we're different. There should be something about us that is different than the rest of the world. And so you and I are to be saints. We are called to be saints. When you and I accept Christ as Lord and Savior, you are sanctified. If you were in church, like when I was a kid, you'd have the, uh, 
you know, older person get up and say, I'm saved, sanctified, and filled with the Holy Ghost. Right? When you and I accept Christ as Lord and Savior, uh, we are saved. And part of that process is we are sanctified. That's where God declares you and I holy. We now belong to him. We are set apart. And listen, he has to declare us holy because God cannot be in the presence of something that is not holy. And he knows that you and I can't be holy on our own. So what does he do? He and his omnipotent power and grace and mercy says, you are now holy. Well, the problem in our world today is we got a lot of Christians that have not grasped onto the fact that God has declared them holy and set apart. And so they live lives as if they uh, are not holy. Right? Uh, because they, they feel like uh, they're overwhelmed by this prospect of living holy. But God has declared you and I holy. And it's a mindset that you and I need to get a hold of. Is that you and I are already holy if you know Christ as Lord and Savior. There is positional sanctification and there is progressive sanctification. Positional sanctification happens at salvation. That's when God says, you are holy, you are set apart, you now belong to me. Progressive sanctification is the process by which every single day, the Holy Spirit working inside of us helps us to conform to the image of Christ, to be more like Jesus, and to become holy more holy every single day. It is progressive, and we will never be perfect until we enter heaven. So it is a daily thing that you and I are walking to become more and more like Christ. None of us will ever attain perfection until we get to heaven. There was only ever one perfect being, and that was Jesus Christ, who never sinned, who never made a mistake, who was never rebellious to God. Uh, he is the only one. The God-man, Jesus Christ. All of us will never be perfect until we walk on streets of gold, until we're in heaven. But we do have this progressive sanctification, and you and I are called to be saints. Yes. Uh, J. Vernon McGee says, "Is a saint, uh, a saint is not one who has been exalted. A saint is one who exalts in Jesus Christ. A person becomes a saint when Jesus Christ becomes his savior." There are only two classes of people in the world, the saints and the ain'ts. If you're, not an, if you're not an ain't, then you're a saint. And if you're a saint, you have trusted Christ. Right? That's a, 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 a delineator. You either know Christ or you don't. Right. You're either set apart and belong to him, or you don't belong to him at all. Right? They're the saints and the ain'ts. I like that quote. It, it made me chuckle. All right. Let's continue going. Now Paul in verse 8 is going to uh, go into to, to talk about why he wanted to visit Rome. Paul had, at this point had not been to Rome. He had wanted to go to Rome many times, but every time something had happened or in his life, either jail or God led him somewhere else, he had not made it to Rome yet. And what he was hoping was is that he could go to Rome and base a missionary outreach from Rome into Asia. That's what he was hoping uh, and wanting. And so he's telling, telling them, he says, First, I thank my God through uh, Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. Uh, for God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers. Now I love this because 
He tells them in verse 7 that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. Now, they didn't have the internet back then. They didn't have the ability to use a telephone. Uh, communication was slow, and it was word of mouth, and it was messages sent back and forth. Usually, uh, well, a person would carry that message or carry that letter. And the church in Rome at this time was so powerful in its commitment to Christ and its serving of Christ and its reputation for, for impacting that region for Christ that the whole world knew about it. You and I are lucky if our neighbor knows that we go to church. You and I are lucky if our neighbor knows that we even follow Jesus or that we love him, right, uh, in this world today. Uh, but this, this church in a world that was completely separated and not able to communicate like our world is today, somehow uh, they were, they, their, uh, their uh, uh, testimony was so powerful that it was uh, spread throughout the whole area, the whole region, the whole world. In fact, uh, in A.D. Uh, 49, uh, the emperor actually uh, expelled uh, all of the Christians from Rome because they had become so influential in the city there. They were living the gospel of Jesus Christ out in their lives every single day and impacting the world around them. It was heard about. Everyone was listening to how uh, this church was impacting the world, their testimony, and so much so that the emperor in AD 49 said, you are influencing these people way too much, my city way too much, you need to get out of here. Now, uh, that's pretty impressive, the influence that they were having over the secular city and these secular people. So many people were being converted that it was affecting their ability to rule and maintain power. Right? Because people were told to worship the emperor as a god. And they were saying there's only one god. His name is Jesus. And they were causing problems. And so uh, their, their testimony was great. He says that without ceasing I may mention of you always in my prayers, making requests that by some means now at last I may find a way to the will, uh, in the will of God to come to you. For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gifts so that you may be established. Just like Paul had reached out and ministered into so many other bodies. He had started churches. He had gone and visited churches that had been established. And he had ministered to them. He also wanted to go to the church in Rome. And he wanted to meet them and see them in person and talk to them. And shake their hands and pray with them and study with them and hug them. And have a relationship with them. And be able to impart something uh, that what God had shared with him to them as well. For I long to see you that I might impart to you some spiritual gifts so that you may be established. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. Paul wanted to talk to this vibrant, live church and its leadership and its people because here's the truth. He was in chains. He was bound. He was suffering. He had always wanted to go to Rome. And he needed a little bit of encouragement. And he thought, if I can get to Rome, uh, I'll get some encouragement there. I'll meet some people that are on fire for Christ. Uh, I'll get to meet new people, some more people to have relationships with that we can uh, impart. I can impart to them what God has given to me, uh, and we can grow together. 
And now I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, I have planned often to come to you, but as was hindered until now, that I might have some fruit among you also, just as among the other Gentiles. So he wanted to also uh, be a part of the great revival happening there. What was, you know, sharing the gospel, sharing that good news, and seeing folks saved. He wanted to be a part of that. He wanted to be there and sharing the gospel and seeing the world changed and those people changed by that gospel of Christ. You and I as Christians should look and see where God is working and want to go and join in that effort. We should want to go and we should want to help people harvest. We should want to get excited or we should get excited when we see God moving and we see God growing and we see God uh, people being saved. We should want to be a part of that. Mm-hmm. Not be jealous. Paul wasn't jealous that this church was growing and he hadn't been there yet, but he wanted to come be a part and help. Right? We shouldn't be jealous. We should want to help. And it all boils down to that good news of Jesus Christ and making sure people avoid eternity and hell. Amen. So as much as in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. Paul would eventually make it to Rome because he would finally be brought one last time before the local authorities and he uh, would appeal to Caesar. As a Roman citizen, see Paul had dual citizenship. He was a Roman citizen and he was also an Israelite. He was a Jew. Uh, And so uh, being a Roman citizen and gave him certain rights. One of those rights was you had a right to, if you were, felt like that you were being treated unfairly, you could appeal directly to Caesar. And so Paul appealed to Caesar, and that's how he made it to Rome. But his whole time in Rome, he was in prison. He was a prisoner while he was in Rome. And it is in Rome where he would ultimately be martyred for the cause of Christ. So yes, he would make it there. And he would get his opportunity, in fact, to stand before Caesar and his whole household and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. But ultimately, he would lay down his life and be beheaded and become a martyr uh, for for the cause of Christ. Verse 16. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. Paul was not ashamed of the gospel. We know this because if you have read uh, the book of Acts, if you've read his uh, epistles at all, if you've been in church and at all, you know that he was beaten and he was in prison. He was stoned twice, both times he did not die. Uh, you know, uh, he was uh, attempts on his life made multiple times from the time that he accepted Christ as Lord and Savior on that road. Uh, Damascus when God interrupted his life uh, he suffered greatly in fact the very interesting thing about Paul is is the Bible tells us when Paul is blind after he saw uh, Jesus on the road in Damascus uh, he was blinded completely blind and they had to lead him into the city and God spoke to a man named Ananias and told him to go pray with Paul and Ananias was afraid because Paul had been persecuting Christians and ruining their lives and having them killed and taking all of their land and their property and, you know, just destroying them. And God said, Ananias, it's okay. I have set him apart. And listen to this. 
I have already shown him the things that he's going to have to suffer. So Paul already knew that he was going to have to be beaten and jailed and prison, rejected and ultimately martyred someday for the good news of Jesus Christ and his Savior, yet he did it anyway. And so when he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, it isn't like a normal uh, one of us who uh, barely can uh, tell our friends that we know Christ or demonstrate Christ at work and our relationship with him, uh, right? And we say, oh, uh, uh, where there's no threat, we say, I'm not ashamed. Uh, there was a present threat always to his life. And he lived out that fact that he was not ashamed of Christ. He wasn't ashamed of the good news of Christ. Why? Because it was, it was the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. Listen, this is, uh, Paul saw every person as a lost soul that was going to burn in hell. Imagine, if you will, a burning building. And in that building, people are screaming for help. And you have the ability to help them, but you don't. You have the power, the tools necessary you have access to the water supply to put the fire out. You have access to the equipment to enter the home and rescue people one by one, but we choose not to. Paul saw that the power of God was in the good news of Jesus Christ for the salvation of those who were lost in their sins. He could rescue them. Because he saw each person as a soul to be saved. Someone that could be, that if they did not know Christ, would be lost in hell for eternity. So he wasn't ashamed. And he knew the gospel in and of itself was powerful. That word power is that same word. Remember in Acts 1.8 where Jesus said, you shall receive power. We talked about that a few weeks ago on the day of Pentecost. Where, you know, when that power came, Jesus said, you shall receive power. It means dynamite. That's the same Greek word here that Paul uses. He says the gospel of Jesus Christ is the dynamite that leads to salvation. He's saying it's got the omnipotent power of God behind it. That's why someone can pick up God's word, read the gospel, and get saved without anyone ever having to tell them anything. It is the power of God. This word in and of itself does not need me. It is powerful. It's convicting. It's the good news of Christ. And it can change a person's life. Paul recognized that he had access to the tools necessary to reach people who were lost and dying. Not just to the Jews, but also the Greeks. The Greeks would have been everyone that would, it was all Gentiles, anyone that wasn't Jewish. He says to the Jews first, in that uh, Abraham was promised that the nation of Israel would be a blessing to all of the nations. The Messiah came from the Jews. Jesus Christ, his heritage was from the Jews. So it is through the Jew nation of Israel that the Messiah was given. 
and through the nation of Israel, the rest of the world is blessed. And Paul is saying here that the gospel of Jesus Christ is for the Jews and also for everyone else. Everyone else. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. says there for since the creation of the oh sorry went too far that it is uh, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith that is best translated like saying from my faith to your faith to the next person's faith so saying from faith to faith to faith is saying from my faith to Amanda from Amanda's faith to Tanya's faith from Tanya's faith to Billy's faith meaning all of our faith and Christ is what saves us and completes us. From no one, no one is different, right? Uh, no one finds Christ in any other way. It's as Jesus said, "I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me." He is the one way, right? No one makes it except. So all of us, from faith to faith to faith, we only come to know Christ as Lord and Savior through faith. No one makes it into heaven otherwise. No one is restored in the relationship apart from faith in God. None of us are redeemed except through faith. Why? Because the just shall live by faith. That's a quote from Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 4. Behold the proud, his soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. Meaning that no matter how hard you and I work and no matter how well we think we obey the tenets of the law, no matter how good we think we are and how awesome we think we are, uh, pride only leads to destruction and goes before a fall. Uh, the only way that you can be reconciled and I can be reconciled in my relationship with Jesus Christ is faith in God. Amen. The just shall live by faith. And faith is not just a momentary action. There is saving faith, and then there is faith as you and I live our lives. Saving faith is that moment when you put your belief and trust in Jesus Christ, as Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10 says, if you confess with the Lord, uh, confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that he's risen from the dead, that you are saved. That confession of faith that Jesus Christ is Lord, that's saving faith. But then there's also that faith that you and I walk out daily in our lives that leads to obedience. Amen. That faith in God that he is who he says he is. That faith in God that he uh, uh, you know, deserves to be honored and worshipped. That faith in God because of what he's already done for us, his salvation. That faith that helps us to be obedient to him regardless of the consequences. One of my favorite definitions of faith was uh, given by a pastor uh, over a, a decade ago now. Actually, what is this, 2022? Almost 20 years ago. He said, faith is a, a confident obedience to God regardless. Circumstances, feelings, no matter how we feel. That's the faith. So we have saving faith, and then we have that faith that we use throughout our lives as we walk with Christ and are obedient to him. Amen. Let us stay.
Thank you for listening to this message. We hope that you enjoyed it and were blessed by it. Each month, we have people from all over the world who listen to the messages made available. If you've been blessed by this ministry, would you consider making a donation of any amount to help support us as we continue to reach the loss for Christ? Donations can be made online at www.reviveoc.org or by check at Revive Outreach Church, 411 Chatham Heights Road, Suite 101, Fredericksburg, Virginia, 22405. Thank you for your prayers and your continued support. May God richly bless you.